This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Brendan Hodges' interview with the director, writer, and visual effects supervisor for Godzilla Minus One, Takashi Yamazaki. Congratulations on Godzilla Minus One and the uh, Oscar nomination for visual effects. It's what we would call like a cool nomination of an unexpected movie to get nominated that the fans of the film would want to, to see rewarded for it. My first question is, you know, when I talk to people who see Godzilla Minus One, the first thing they talk about is how emotional and epic it is. But the second thing they say is they can't believe it was made for such a small amount of money, that the budget was as small as it was, and it still looks as beautiful as it does, including the visual effects. My first question is a big one. How did you pull it off? With regards to... Um, the budget. I think Japanese films, by and large, the budget is, of course, not quite as much as, as Hollywood films. But on the flip side, there's a lot of creative agency and latitude that is granted to the director and creators. So surprisingly, given the, the very small budget, which is quite large by Japanese standards, actually, um, but from a global perspective, I, I had a lot of power to sign off and I had a lot of creative agency. So I think that enabled us to complete shots and move on to the next task with a very, very small team. And on, on the topic of the team, a lot of members were able to wear many different hats so they could straddle different disciplines in the traditional VFX pipeline. And that eliminated a few kind of in-between approvals or in-between steps that other VFX studios or houses might have. And finally, I think as the director and VFX supervisor, I had a pretty clear vision of the final image I was going for. And that allowed us to employ a lot of shorthand among the teams of, hey, let's focus on this. And this is the image we're trying to create. And because I knew what was capable with, with the VFX team we had, perhaps that streamlined some of the, the overall process, which all contributed to a much smaller budget, but being able to put uh, what we did on the screen. Yeah, wow, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I want to ask about something you, you mentioned, that you're the director and the VFX supervisor. And obviously, you're also a writer on Godzilla Minus One. And I'm wondering... You know, when you're writing the screenplay, are you already thinking in technical terms of how you're going to achieve your set pieces 
the visual effects and things like that, whether, you know, it's when Godzilla uh, is chasing the boat, like he's the shark in Jaws, or like he's uh, attacking Tokyo, how early are you thinking about how you're going to execute those things technically is in the writing phase? When I'm writing the screenplay, I try not to be too technical or try not to look too far down the pipeline of what I know this film is going to, to have to undergo. So I try to focus more on, on the vision, on the emotion, on the character development, the character arcs in the screenplay phase, and then I worry about VFX later. And in, in this case, uh, we had a very young and up-and-coming team member, a young artist who apparently was just doing water simulations as a hobby in his home computer. And one day he brought it into the office and he showed us the water simulation that he did. And I was like, oh my goodness, I can use this. So that did inform the screenplay process slightly. Uh, and I added a couple more water scenes because I knew we were going to be able to do it standing on solid ground, uh, so to speak. But for me, understanding what our strengths are and what weapons we have in our proverbial arsenal when setting out to do a screenplay or VFX. Of course, I didn't want that to be the biggest constraint of all with the characters and the emotional arcs have to speak for themselves. But at least knowing that we have these weapons, I think informs slightly, okay, maybe we can do one more scene that involves this because I know the post post-production team uh, team can handle it. And for me, I don't ever want to fall in a situation where screenplays are written from a strictly technical standpoint and we're almost kind of walking backwards from the pipeline of what we know is possible. I think it eliminates a lot of room for that creative agency or expansion exploration of what we can do with characters, what stories we want to tell. Uh, that being said, I think Godzilla Minus One is a healthy balance of, hey, let's use a couple aces up our sleeve, but we're not going to to compromise the, the characters and their emotional journey. Yeah, and I think that's why Godzilla Minus One is such an emotional movie for so many people. Like, there were people crying in my screening, you know? Uh, I wanted to ask about the design for this Godzilla. You know, he's instantly intimidating, but he also has kind of a beautiful silhouette. And I love just watching him move. I loved watching him swim or stomp around, uh, whatever it was. And I'm wondering what was the inspiration for his design and what the process was in animating the way that he should move. <laughs> There was a lot of trial and error, simply put. Uh, we sculpted digitally many different versions of Godzilla. And I think everyone probably somewhere in their mind has their impression of this is Godzilla. So in this process, though, we had a lot of weird designs and, and very funky ones. But ultimately, we went back to basics and made what we thought was the coolest looking Godzilla that we could. But at the same time, Godzilla, in my interpretation at least, is part god, part monster. So there needed to be this almost divine 
fine feeling that that it exuded as it walks on screen. But at the same time, it had to also feel somewhat bestial, but also be cool uh, and beautiful and divine again. So when trying to balance all of these components that affected the design a lot, of course, but also translated to the movement, as you pointed out in the animation side, we didn't want it to feel too bestial, but we didn't want it to be this divine creature that doesn't do anything the whole time. So we're trying to find that that happy medium. Again, a lot of trial and error. We we spent a lot of time developing its walk cycle uh, with the animator. I think we were able to finally land on this, again, balance between when it's simply walking, it, it feels very divine and godlike. But when it comes to destroying buildings or stomping on things, that almost bestial character surfaces. And once it's done smashing a building, it returns back to its its normal cycle. So I felt that perhaps you know, that, that was our best interpretation of what we could do uh, with, with Godzilla for this film. Yeah, and I felt all of that, the balance between this sort of divine being and this sort of almost like a dragon, like just this massive uh, lumbering reptile. And that goes right into my next question, because maybe the biggest departure for this Godzilla is, of course, the spikes all over the back that then unlock as the atomic breath comes out. It's beautiful. It's kind of mesmerizing to watch. I have to ask, where did that come from? Um, And what was it like animating it? You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. Uh, the fins, the design itself, I tried to imagine uh, in some ways like shells or shellfish, crustaceans, almost these fossilized ancient ocean creatures that have very, very pointy and spiky elements to them. And because Godzilla is very much an ocean creature, I think it, as a detail, um, it really works. The idea of those very, very sharp fins cutting through water. I think the design and the function both complement uh, each other. And in terms of how it kind of almost unlocks as he's charging up the uh, the atomic breath was something that uh, I, I thought about while writing the screenplay for Godzilla Minus One. I was actually filming, shooting my last film, and one of the producers happened to be the same producer on both films. And I said, look, I know we're shooting this film, but can I talk to you about Godzilla? Actually, I want to do this thing where he kind of unlocks and then fires the atomic breath. What do you think? And everyone received it 
really, really well. So that's when I thought, okay, we, we can do this. We can make it, we can sell this. Uh, and the only question was, how do we do it convincingly? But kind of going back to Godzilla and almost its origins in some way, this also informed that, that design choice to have the fins kind of move as he's charging. Uh, Godzilla was very much a metaphor for nuclear war, nuclear fallout. I think it, 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 as a character, he's very rooted in that. And for better or for worse, I think in recent interpretations of Godzilla, sometimes he's the hero or this monster or creature. It represents something else. And I wanted to, to, to go back to its origins in this case. So in some way, the fins moving as he's charging this energy is uh, uh, symbolic of all these different safety mechanisms unlocking when everyone clicks, you know, turns the key and presses the red button on some kind of nuclear warhead, or perhaps the expression of enormous amount of energy being concentrated on one focal point as he's about to unleash the beam is all reminiscent of, I think, how uh, nuclear warheads are, are set off and, and that form of visual expression. So uh, definitely didn't want that interpretation to be lost in, in our version of it. He's so tactile. You see that tactility to how he moves in the breath that really comes across. Um, we only have time for one more question. And I wanted to ask about this big issue that's been brought up again and again um, in Hollywood lately, uh, especially like the labor practices amongst the visual effects community. Um, I've interviewed a lot of visual effects people over the years, and a lot of them have talked about this, just long hours. It could be a rushed production schedule. Etc. And I've read that can be an issue in Japan as well. Now, as you kind of suggested in your first question, you found some ways around this. Like you cut down on staffing and things like that. Um, there, there were fewer approval tiers, so and you knew exactly what you wanted. So there was kind of less uh, maybe iterative um, animation processes on Godzilla minus one. But I wanted to ask you, what's your view on the problem? What should change going forward based on your own experience? Mm, もっと給料を上げてあげたいですね。あの、でもそれはやっぱりあのちゃんと儲からなきゃ。あ、もう、for in Japan, if a company has shady practices, they're often labeled as, oh, that company's black, uh, black and white, uh, so to speak. Our company name is called Shirogumi, which is roughly translates to Team White. So I like to think that we don't have too many shady uh, practices in, in our business. But of course, uh, going down to more specifics, our team members, they've all got weekends and, and families, and uh, there are occasionally some late nights, uh, but of course we try to respect everyone's space and, and time. And if you look at this through the U.S. standards or that lens, I don't know how it compares. I can't speak on behalf of that, but as best as we can, comparably in Japanese standards, I think we provide a fairly good work environment. And 
in some odd way, you know, I know we shouldn't take advantage of it uh, and we don't intend to, but a lot of our team members just like what they're doing, the special effects, visual effects community. So it's almost an extension of their hobby. But again, that can't be an excuse and it can't be a reason for people choosing to, to invest more of their time into these projects. So my bottom line is I think we should definitely figure out a way to increase their salary but all in all i could say at least on the godzilla team it seemed like everyone was having fun and you know, we try to maintain the best standards we possibly can uh, given the circumstance yeah i i appreciate you going into so in depth and you mentioned how it's kind of a hobby for these people on your team and it does feel like a labor of love it truly comes across godzilla minus one is one of my favorite movies of the year uh i, I think it's one of the best godzilla movies of all time uh, thank you so much for your time tonight and for your answers. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Brandon Hodges' interview with the writer, director, and visual effects supervisor for Godzilla Minus One, Takashi Yamazaki, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Godzilla Minus One is up for your consideration for this year's Academy Awards for Best Visual Effects. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.